Welcome back to a podcast greater than yourself, season two. I'm John Barleycorn. And I am Fred. And once again, this is season two of a podcast greater than yourself, our series called Clear Cut Directions, where each episode, a speaker takes you through the clear cut directions for a specific step or steps right out of the book, Alcoholics Anonymous. So yeah, enjoy, enjoy this episode. And uh, as always, we'd love to hear your feedback on all the podcasts that are coming out. Reach out to us at podcastgreaterthanyourself at gmail.com. Yeah, or or hit us up on Instagram at podcastgreaterthanyourself or at dr underscore silkworth. We'd love to hear from you. Enjoy the episode. Page 89, bottom paragraph. Perhaps you are not acquainted with any drinkers who want to recover. You can easily find some by asking a few doctors, ministers, priests, or hospitals. They will be only too glad to assist you. Don't start out as an evangelist or reformer. Unfortunately, a lot of prejudice exists. You will be handicapped if you arouse it. Ministers and doctors are competent and you can learn much from them if you wish. But it happens that because of your own drinking experience, you can be uniquely useful to other alcoholics. So cooperate, never criticize. To be helpful is our only aim. So what's what's really cool about being an AA, uh, you know, right now and not when this book was written, is that uh, you don't have to go all that far out of your way. More often than not, if you live in a city like I do, there's tons of meetings all over the place. And that's, that's the whole purpose of uh, the meeting. You know, an A meeting is, uh, is, is really just for us to congregate uh, the people that have recovered from alcoholism through working these 12 steps through this book and be there to show the newcomer, this guy that, that doesn't know how to stay sober, this guy that, you know, uh, is walking in the door, uh, how we do this. One thing that, that I've noticed, though, is uh, through trial and error is, is how to approach people, how, how to approach, uh, you know, loved ones. When, when people come to me and uh, are asking me questions, you know, about their, you know, their son or their brother and how to, you know, I, I don't, I don't want to go up to them and uh, be all high and mighty about everything that I do because at the end of the day, I want to represent AA, right? Like I want to represent these principles uh, that, that, that we practice here. In my, my experience with, with going to uh, treatment centers and AA meetings, um, you know, it's my job to approach people and, uh, Normally, if I present somebody with the facts of myself, you know, like I just, I just tell them about, you know, my experience and, uh, and the inability that I had to stay sober and the different ways that I tried to do that, uh, and what the end result was, you know, uh, me in rehab, absolutely hopeless. Um, uh, there's this thing that happens where they, they recognize, uh, that you're just like them, you know? And, uh, a light bulb switches, you know, at, at some point, you know, when you're talking to somebody and they have the same exact experience as you, 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 they take a little bit more stock into what you have to say, 
you know, I know, I know for me, uh, when I would be talking to therapists or, or, or whoever, you know, uh, it doesn't really matter because they didn't have the same experience as me. Uh, they aren't going to be able to tell me how to get out of this thing that they haven't been in, you know? So, uh, when I'm talking to a newcomer and he starts telling me about his experience and I start telling him about mine, you know, uh, it, there's kind of like this level playing field, like we are the same. So, you know, that gives me an opportunity like, Hey, if, if you want out of this thing, you know, uh, if you don't know how to get out of, out of this hole, uh, this, this bottomless pit of despair, you know, of, of unrecovered alcoholism, and you think that you have the same experience as me, well, why don't we try these things? You know, why don't we sit down and, and start going through this book? Uh, and I explained to him, you know, I didn't do anything special. All I did was, was sit down in front of another guy, a guy that recovered from alcoholism, that worked all 12 steps, and had a spiritual awakening, and we went through the directions in this book. In the last sentence of the paragraph, to be helpful is our only aim. Uh, that's something important to keep in mind. When I, when I go to a meeting, whether it's in a rehab or just a, a meeting out and about, uh, something that I do is, is I, I pray, uh, even, even briefly, you know, like I pray to God for him to, uh, set my motives right, you know, to, to clear me of the bondage of self, clear me out of the way so I can go be useful to, to somebody inflicted with the same thing that I have. And, and with that being said, so like if my, if my main purpose of being at a meeting is to help other people, you know, like I'm paying attention, like I'm paying attention to what other people share. I'm, I'm normally looking for the most miserable guy in the room because he's, you know, like he's sick. He's, he's probably got, exactly what I have. Right. And I have this thing that can help him. So I'm going over to him after the meeting. Uh, I don't just raise my hand, you know, when, when the, uh, the chairperson asks who's available to sponsor, you know, that that's not, uh, the 12th, the 12th step is not just raise your hand at a meeting to show that you're available to sponsor, right? Like it's my job to seek this person out after the meeting and, uh, and touch base with him, see how he's doing, see where he's at. If he, if he has a sponsor, you know, one thing that I noticed after sponsoring a lot of guys and kind of, uh, just throwing myself into, into working with as many guys as I, I could work with is that I become much less consumed with, with myself and, uh, you know, the problem, you know, what I want, uh, what I think I need managing my life, uh, and it becomes much more about how can I help God's creations? How can I help these men? You know, uh, more often, uh, if I'm working with a lot of guys, it's probably going to pop in my brain like, hey, I wonder how, you know, so-and-so is doing. I wonder how his four steps coming along. Oh, you know, I gave uh, Jimbo directions on step, you know, eight. I wonder how his list is. I wonder if he's writing uh, amends. And, and, if, and if my whole problem if the, if the whole problem is, is my selfishness and, and my uh, self-centeredness, then, you know, I probably want to be turning my thoughts as many, you know, to as many people as I, I possibly can. You know, step 12 for me has, has been where the rubber has met the road. I, I spent a lot of time for uh, in Alcoholics Anonymous not being sober. You know, I had spent a lot of time 
kind of wondering what the purpose is of why we're here and why we're doing it. And I hadn't ever helped anyone. I'd never sponsored and I had never gotten into service of any kind. Um, I had finished the first 11 steps and I had had this immense spiritual experience. I, I mean, it was, it was like words don't describe. I had done the fourth step. I had seen everything that was in that. I had shared when the fifth step I had said six and seven, I had gone out and I had made these amends. Uh, my sponsor immediately got me into a 10, doing 10 steps daily and also looking at step 11. And it was just like, I, I was living on cloud nine. And then my sponsor suggested, why don't we go out and start getting you involved in sponsorship? And I had had this preconceived idea of step 12 being that I, I do it whenever it like fits into my schedule. Or if somebody asks me that I'm available, the, but it wasn't something that I'd ever looked at as like, no, we go and do it 12 step. We go and find people in which we sponsor. We go actively look for what we could bring into the world instead of what we can take out of it. Completely different um, uh, idea of what we're doing with, with step 12. Um, I went to my sponsor and uh, he gave me a timeline. He said, you have seven days to get a sponsee. If not, I'm going to drop you. And I just thought that was like the most cruel thing that somebody could do. I, I felt like, how can you force me into step 12? That's, that's unfair. That, that's not right. So I went about my week. Uh, you know, I'll mention again that I was completely destroyed. I was completely destroyed. I was, I was willing to do anything. And if that meant working with other people, so be it. So I went out and I went to some meetings and I raised my hand when they asked, uh, is anyone available to sponsor? I went back after seven days, to my sponsor and said, you know what? No one asked me. I don't know what to do. And he goes, well, it doesn't matter. There's a guy on, on my porch right now. He, he's asking for a sponsor. He's your new sponsee. And I just felt like, holy shit, I'm going to kill this guy. I'm absolutely, I don't know what my sponsor knows. He, he seems to be so, he seems to have so much information. He seems to know the book. He seems to know all of this stuff. And I had just gone through this process. How am I supposed to coach this guy through a fourth and a fifth step? How am I going to point him to amends? How, I just made my amends. I don't even know what about somebody else's. Like, what am I supposed to do with this shit? But that didn't matter. You know, it didn't matter. I got all tripped up into the idea that I was the one with the power and it was me that was going to keep this guy sober. And that's the furthest thing from the truth. All I do is assist somebody through the 12 steps so they can get a relationship with God for themselves. My first sponsor was this dude named Ryan. And uh, like I said, I thought I was, I was going to kill this dude. Anyway, he was super willing. He was super desperate. And we went through the steps. Now, what my sponsor did with me is I would come to him asking questions. So there was this aspect in the beginning in which I, I felt like I knew nothing, but it wasn't until I started taking somebody else through the process of sponsorship or of sponsoring somebody else that I started to gain knowledge for myself. Cause previously it was only, only my own experience of working them and it wasn't showing somebody else. So as I started to sponsor this guy, I started to gain knowledge of what it looks like to sponsor another person. So I would go to my sponsor and ask questions. So I remember you saying that thing about step one being, you know, unmanageability and somewhere in there, it said something about lack of power. Somebody, it said something about what page was selfishness and self-centeredness on. I remember you doing that thing with me where you told me about, you know, if when I honestly want to, I find I can't quit entirely, you know, where is that stuff? So what he would do is he would show me how to uh, work with another person through the big book. And he would take me back to the page and say, okay, so here's what you're going to say to this guy. 
and he would coach me on how I was going to sponsor somebody else. And I started to gain some knowledge and some understanding about um, working with others. But it wasn't until I started working with others did I start to feel the, the, the experience of getting out of myself. Previously and up to this point, you know, still resentments popping up. I still was afraid of fucking everything. I still had this un- undeniable terror that I was going to drink again. And I started working with other people. And what I noticed was I didn't feel that fear. I wasn't racked with resentment. I wasn't uh, uh, terrified of life. What I felt was the void of self. I was, I was losing myself in working with others. Um, anytime that uh, I would be, you know, coming to my sponsor and, and going through a 10th step, we'd go through the directions. And at the end of those directions, it says we resolutely turn our thoughts to somebody we can help. And I would be working with other people. Then all of a sudden I noticed that all of that crap that I would carry with me would be diminished and gone. And that's the, 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 the promise of the 12th step is that nothing will so much ensure immunity from drink so much as intensive work with another alcoholic. And that's what I experienced slowly, but surely that fear of drinking was gone. It was gone. Uh, I, I can only explain that in that, you know, it was steps 10, 11, and 12 combined on a daily basis and working with other people that took that away from me. If I had stopped at 11, if I had only stopped there and said, meh, you know, I will, I'll work with people when it's convenient. I, I will sponsor if I'm asked. I will, you know, do service if I want to. I guarantee you that the, the drink would return. There's a portion in the 12 step that said life will take on new meaning to watch people recover to see them help others, to watch loneliness vanish, to see a fellowship grow up about you, to have a host of friends. This is an experience you must not miss. We know you will not want to miss it. Frequent contact with newcomers and with each other is the bright spot of our lives. And that holds true for me. I look forward to the times in which I can connect with my sponsees at the end of the day. You know, I look forward to working with other people and a host of friends that have happened as the result of it. This fellowship grew up around me as a result of working with other people. It didn't happen as a way of me manufacturing it in my life. It happened when I started to lose myself and focusing on other people. And it's only as a result of that 12 step that really kicked that off. Step 12. Step 12 for me is where all the magic happens. My experience is that I learn more from going through the work with another woman than I do going through the book with my own sponsor. I feel there is no time that I am closer to God than when I'm working with another alcoholic. I feel like sometimes things fly out of my mouth that I know did not come out of my head. They must have come from somewhere else. And I know that's God working. And the thing is, I was terrified when my sponsor's like, you need to go find people to work with. I'm like, oh my God, I'm going to fuck them up. Like, I'm not going to be able to help. Like, and I, of course, selfish and self-centered as we are, I made it all about me. But what I learned was that it literally has nothing to do with me. There are clear-cut directions in the book. And all I literally have to do is read the book to the girl 
maybe explain a few things of how I understand it and how I experienced it and ask her if she's relating to these things. Stop where there's directions to stop and do work and tell tell her to do the work, right? Write out your fourth step, you know, um, let's go make amends. Like there's directions for how to do this. And as long as I do what the book tells me to do as a sponsor and go through this work the same way my sponsor did with me, then I'll have a hundred percent success rate. And what that success rate really is, is that I stay sober regardless of whether they do or not. Um, if they do, it's a bonus because the coolest thing in the world is to watch another alcoholic get recovered and rebuild a new life. Um, I've had the experience of working with several women long-term and I was talking with a couple of them over this past week. And I always like to do these little things where I'm like, remember when? And I give them a little example of something that happened uh, when they first came in and, you know, look at you today and because they're, they're telling me all these beautiful things that are happening in their life. And I literally start to tear up because the fact that I've recovered is cool. But the fact that I get to watch other people recover, it gives me goosebumps just talking about it. And it says right here on page 89, life will take on new meaning. And that has been my experience. When I started sponsoring others, that's when my program took off. That's when my relationship with God got deeper because I can't sit here and tell you to go do these things that's in this book if I'm not willing to do them myself. So it holds me more accountable to doing these things. And I can't, because I was always really bad about skipping my nightly review. That was the thing that was so hard for me to get in the habit of doing. And when I started sponsoring other people, I was like, I can't not do this. Like, I can't sit here and pretend. I can't be a fake and a phony. And I started doing that, and my life changed because I'm deeper in my program because I'm telling other people to do the things that I need to do. And they're often, these sponsees, they're often quite a mirror for me. There's been many times that a girl has come to me with a problem, and we're talking about something, and whatever's coming out of my mouth, I'm like, I need to make a note of that, that I just said, whatever it was, because I need to go do that too. Um, and it's not, a, I'm not a therapist. I don't have the magic answers. It's always something that's in the book. It's always bringing them back to something that's in the book. It's what is what are the directions that you aren't following right now that's causing you to have problems in your life? That's what it all boils down to. Because um, I don't know how to run my own life. I need a higher power to tell me how to do that, right? Because left of my own devices, I'm going to burn it to the ground. Um, so when I learned that sponsorship had nothing to do with me having all the answers and fixing their life, and it was just guiding them to the power that's going to do that for them, it took all the pressure off. It made things so much more simple for me. And in my experience, I can do all the things perfectly as a sponsor and I can take them through the book just like it's outlined and give them all the instructions and they may not stay sober, right? I might come through and do a half-assed job for someone who is willing to do all of the things and they will stay sober. And what that means is it's not about me. It's not about me being a great sponsor or not. Um, of course, I want to be the best sponsor I can. And I, I work at uh, learning and growing and bettering my program so I can be a better sponsor. 
but it's all about the person's willingness who, whoever is going through this work, it's about their willingness to do what is being asked of them. And it's been my experience that um, if I'm willing enough to do the work and, and do it to the best of my ability, I will stay sober. And I've seen so many people come through and they're going through, because I tend to work with a lot of women who um, have been through the work before. And they might have even been sober for a few years and then they go back through the work and they're like, I didn't know any of this. I've never heard of any of this. Where did this come from? And it shows that even though they weren't taught certain things, they were willing to do what was taught to them and they stayed sober, but they had this new experience and um, they have been able to then grow their program and then become better sponsors themselves from continuing to do this work. And um, I always say that if I am not doing step 12, if I am not working with others, I'm not participating in my own recovery. I'm not working the program of Alcoholics Anonymous. It was told to me with my current sponsor that if you don't have at least four women going through this work with you, then, um, you know, you're, you, you need to be continuing to look for more people. And um, when I really threw myself into that, um, I, I was like, oh my God, like, I'm not going to have time for this. Like, I don't know how I'm going to manage, you know, working with all these women. And my sponsor's like, don't worry, God's got you. God's going to work it all out. And I was like, yeah, right, whatever, um, but I'll do it. <laughs> And that was my experience. She was right. She's always freaking right. Why is my sponsor always right? She is. And it has been my experience that God always works it out. If I say yes to helping another alcoholic, God is always going to make that time available to me to, to go through with that. And um, that is the one thing that is my my favorite thing to do. Like if I could just never work another day of my life and spend 40 hours a week working with alcoholics, I would love that. I would love that. But you know, that's not the case. The book talks about how we do this as an avocation. We do this in our extra time and it has come to be the greatest joy I've ever had in my life. So, um, you know, if you, if it's been a while since you sponsored someone, if you are just getting into the whole sponsorship thing, the book tells us and makes it very clear that we've got to go search them out. We can't just sit in our home groups and raise our hand, hoping someone comes along and asks us to be their sponsor. Uh, my sponsor told me, if you see someone new in the group, you reach out to them go make friends with them, go ask them if they have a sponsor, go ask them to coffee, do whatever it takes to let them know that you're there and you're available to help them through this work if they, um, if they choose to do this. And I, I can tell you that I usually, just like my sponsor said, I'm working with four or five women at a time actively. And I tend to have quite a few others that, um, have been through the steps and they're out sponsoring others and I'm helping them sponsor others. Um, and that's, 
that's the best thing when you start having sponsees that have sponsees that have sponsees and you start to see the tree growing downward and seeing other people help other people. It's just magic. Like there's nothing better in the world than, um, than seeing other people help other people and seeing how many people are affected by the fact that you have done something positive with your life and changed your life and have this new spiritual way of living. So all the magic's in step 12. If you haven't done it yet, you're missing all the magic. Go hunt them down, find you someone to work with, and it's an experience you must not miss. So if you had a situation like me where you did all of this in like a month, it was like 30 days, you're going to have been in a, so I was sober for a little bit of time before I, I started working the steps. Once I started working the steps, I did them pretty quickly. So I'd really only been in AA for like 30 days. And if you're at that point and you're on step 12 and you're like, you're going to meetings and you're trying to, and this also assumes that the pandemic is not happening anymore. So I, I, you know, but if you're able to go to in-person meetings and you're like the new person, it can be kind of scary, like to approach, to approach somebody and to, you know, offer your, yourself to them. Right. It's, it's not just that we're offering, I will take you through the steps. That's like the goal, but like making yourself available to that person, really approaching a person who's otherwise a stranger can be kind of like, a scary thing. Like I'm not there. There are always going to be somebody in the meeting that has more time than you. There's always going to be somebody in the meeting who has got a better pitch than you. Who's like funnier than you. Who's better looking than you know, like there's always somebody else. Right. So you can literally cannot <laughs> just wait around to be like the most eligible sponsor in a room, particularly when you're new, it's just not going to fucking happen. Right. So the trick that I found, um, is I don't know, maybe twofold. One of them is you got to be confident that it's not Joe walking up to that person, that it's like Joe plus God, right? Cause Joe walking up to that person is like, I don't really have anything for them. And I'm not convinced that it's going to be, um, um, impactful or meaningful conversation. And I'm also don't really want to decide that I know how it's going to go or how it is going. Right. Like I got to have some backup. I got to go in there with God. Um, and the other thing is you have to ask people, you have to ask people if they've started the steps and you have to, liter- you have to say the word steps. <laughs> so for a while I like tried to, I tried to find this like more comfortable way for myself to approach a new person. For me, it's like a new dude. And I tried to find a way to do it without <laughs> saying, Hey, do you need a sponsor? Hey, have you started the steps? Would you like me to help you start working the steps? It's really hard to make that happen. It's really hard to offer sponsorship to a person if you're afraid to use all of the the vocab words that you need to <laughs> to pitch to that person, right? Um, it doesn't work. I, I had a conversation with somebody who I'm like, who I know has been sober for a really long time, who I I like a lot. Um, who will never listen to this podcast. I know for sure. Cause I know him. He's in my hometown. I don't think anybody that listens to this podcast would even know him, but he, he said something to me, which made it clear to me. He said something like, you know, I, I haven't had a ton of sponsees cause you know, nobody comes up to me and asks me 
to sponsor them. Right. And he's like, I guess I don't have what they're looking for. And he said it and he was like, he was sad. And I was sad. Right. Because here's a guy who's been sober for a long time who thinks that the way that this works is that somebody has to come up to him and ask him, right. Think about how many, how many opportunities you waste, how many lives that that guy hasn't been able to get involved in and how, you know, what, what would be different if he were going up to people and asking? Because the secret of it is, in my opinion, nobody wants to ask. Or most people don't want to ask. My, I didn't ask my sponsor to sponsor me. My sponsor came up to me, and I didn't even know what he was doing. And all of a sudden, he became my sponsor, right? And it fucking worked, and it was great. But if it had been on me to approach that guy and ask him, it wouldn't have happened. And I personally believe that I was only in a place where I was willing enough to get sober for about 15 minutes total. Right. And it just so happened that the confluence of events had brought me to the right meeting that I didn't intend to go to that day um, where this other person was there who approached me. And if those things hadn't happened, I would not have gotten sober. I would not have finished this. Maybe I would, I don't know, but like the, the path that I took evaporates the whole, the whole, my whole life since I got sober up to now is gone. And it's because that person came up to me and the experiences that I've had with people are me going up to them. Right. And we're not waiting around for people to, um, to come beg us to sponsor them. Right. Especially if you're new, uh, it's just not going to happen. Right. You have to go up to them and you can't go up. It can't just be Joe going up to them. It has to be you plus God. Right. In those situations, you are able to be helpful and you might say something that that person can respond to, and you might be able to meaningfully help that person. When I go up to people under other circumstances and other situations, it doesn't always work, but that will work. A lot of large numbers, you keep taking those approaches in Zoom or not in Zoom world. You keep taking the approaches, it will happen. Whenever I've struggled with feeling like I can't handle the responsibility to like be a sponsor, that means that I'm not living in step three. I'm not, I'm not, not playing God. I am playing God (laughs) when I feel that way. So sponsoring, it works when other activities fail. Practical experience shows that nothing will so much ensure immunity from drinking as intensive work with other alcoholics. So sponsoring, helping other people do their steps is, um, is critical in my recovery and, um, working with others kind of goes through exactly how to do that. So I have had conversations with, with my sponsor in the past saying like, I don't really know how to approach this or I don't know how to approach that. Or, um, you know, I think I did this wrong and that's why this person, you know, kind of is, is not doing the step work anymore. And all that is just self. That means that I'm still playing God that I think I have any power to like keep somebody from sobriety you know, like that is all God. The reason I am sober is due to something higher than myself. I know that to be true for myself. I have to be desperate enough and willing enough. And, um, so whenever I get into kind of like, it is good to ask my sponsor for suggestions on like certain, um, pieces of like how to communicate kindly and, uh, directly is something I, I seek counsel on. Um, but beyond that, like it's all, it's all God. It's all God for, for me. And it's all God for the sponsee. So what step 
12 means to me in my life today is there are a few things that I do when I don't have sponsees. Um, I call treatment centers in my area to see if they um, have any panels or they have people who are looking for sponsors. Um, I go to newcomers meetings. So if I don't have sponsor sponsees, I am actively seeking sponsees, which is super easy because I can do it now in my room <laughs> in, from my home. And, um, I also help out at a, um, a workshop that runs for a long time. So maybe I don't have sponsees. Like I don't have somebody I'm taking through the steps one by one, one on one. But, um, the workshop that I'm a part of allows me the great privilege of sometimes listening to fifth steps or, uh, my friends and I will often help people on zoom and like bigger working groups. And, that is that is the bright spot of my life. You know, it is true what they say to kind of watch to watch people get it going through the workshop or to watch people get it. You know, when I'm working with them one on one is um, yeah, it is just such that's God like that is just straight up God. And, you know, the whole reason that I'm sober is God and also people who work for God in the sense that. You know, my sponsor, my sponsor spent so much time with me trying to get me to understand like everything in my, in my, in this book and everything in my steps, in my step work. Um, I struggle with, I came to AA through Al-Anon. Um, so I have like a history of codependent behaviors in my life that I've been working on in AA and um, other programs and outside help for years. And I am aware more than ever, more than I've ever been in my life of like what is actually helpful to someone and what is not. And so working with others goes through this Uh, page 98. It is not the matter of giving that is in question, but when and how to give. The minute we put our work on a service plane, the alcoholic commences to rely upon our assistance rather than upon God. Um, It is an extremely loving thing to do to allow someone to make decisions for themselves. And I know how I've felt when sponsors have said to me, like, have tried to run my life. It didn't feel good. Or when I expected a sponsor to run my life, I used to like run every little decision I made by my sponsor thinking that that's what I was supposed to do. But really what that was is me like taking, not taking responsibility for my own life. And so I am certain today that allowing other people to have their journey, which is sometimes having to continue to suffer to reach that true bottom where they're truly ready to do the step work. Um, that isn't just an extremely, extremely loving thing to do. It's not for me to decide when people are ready. Um, I don't know these, like, I really don't know these people beyond like what's happening in, in the step work and what I like my very limited knowledge of their whole life. Um, and so this, these directions, are what my sponsor always brings me back to. Um, It's like, what do I do in this situation? What do I do about that? It's like, well, read working with others again, because it tells us exactly what to do. Uh, Make it plain that he is under no obligation to you, that you hope only that he will try to help other alcoholics when he escapes. Um, We're supposed to be helping people from the first day we walk in. And um, yeah, if he is to find God, the desire must come from within. There's all, all this stuff. Like a lot of it is, 
what has become Al-Anon or CODA, um, like kind of helping the family of the alcoholic. That's a lot of what working with others is, but it also, you know, says some critical, some critical stuff like, uh, what is one thing? Yeah. So, um, page 103, we are careful never to show intolerance or hatred of drinking. A spirit of intolerance might repel alcoholics whose life could have been saved had it not been for such stupidity. We are clear on like what exactly not to do too. Um, and learning like what kind of behaviors are harmful. So sponsoring and reading what this book has to say and other outside work kind of has been a really important learning experience. Um, for someone like me who suffers from extreme codependence and I'm aware, I'm aware that, um, you know, people who uh, other people, it's pretty common in AA for people to, who have, nah, maybe I don't want to say that. I was going to say it. It's common for people with a background in Al-Anon to come to AA and be like, Oh yes, there's all these people I can help. Like this is, this is great. But, um, that is not something I find loving. And, um, when I act, in through what working with others says and spend that time with people and watch them truly get it. Like that is, that is the bright spot of my life. Like what like the book talks about and not, and what's even more important than that is how I bring these principles into my home. So I mentioned like two that having um, no sponsees is to our times when I'm going to meetings and trying to find sponsees and calling treatment centers. Um, but also it changes how I am behaving at home. Like, how can I be helpful? I have four roommates. How can I be helpful to them? Who in my family can I call? Like, how can I be of service of true service to somebody in my life? And, um, sometimes that looks like doing chores. Sometimes that looks like sitting down and spending quality time. Um, but I'm, I'm supposed to, and I enjoy being of service in my life now. So I came to AA just to like stop obsessing over alcohol. And I have had so much more, like the promises have come true in my life. Uh, fear of people and of economic, secu- economic insecurity will leave us. That's something that's true for me. And um, my favorite thing is like being less, less interested in, um, my little plans and designs and and selfish things, you know, that always changes throughout my recovery of what that means to me. But sometimes I'm just like, Oh, I don't, you know, I don't feel like that interested in my, in the selfish thoughts right now, you know, like that, that, that is garbage. That's blocking me from God. Um, so yeah, getting to be of service through step 12 and in my like normal life um, is another piece of this program that sets me free. When it all comes together, I live happy, joyous, and free. It tells us to never avoid these responsibilities, and then it gives us a lot of examples of conditions we may have to meet when helping another alcoholic. And whenever I first got through the work, I, I, I had one of those smaller red big books or little books, if you will. And, uh, I ripped out page 97 and like took a picture of it. And it was the background on my phone because <laughs> one, I was like, I was having an experience, right? I, I was having had a spiritual awakening is what it says, right? So we're, we're waking up to the fact that God can be used and his will can be, um, discovered, right? And we can see 
you know, we, we're starting to see that we we have the power to help others, right? So I I was 23 years old and I had never experienced anything of that sort, and I was really into this. Um, I was really into AA and I was really into page 97. Like I got to do this shit. This is life or death, and and in some ways it is, right? In some ways it is. So I had this page 97 on my background, and it tells us. Never avoid these responsibilities, but be sure you are doing the right thing if you assume them. It tells us that helping others is the foundation stone of your recovery. So throughout the book, there are all these metaphors for the building of something or the construction of something. We have the common peril, common solution on page 17, I believe it is, and it tells us that that is the cement. Page 47 is step two, and and basically, you know, are you willing to believe in God is your cornerstone, right? Upon that cornerstone of the willingness to believe, we're going to build this everything else off of that. Uh, page 62 is step three, and that it tells us that that is the keystone of this new and triumphant arc through which we're going to pass through to freedom. And then 97 is this foundation stone, right? So the arc is completed on the other side, and we have this new spiritual structure, this metaphorical spiritual structure that we've built by doing this work. And um, this is where it's completed, right? So it's telling us that helping others is, you know, it's the foundation stone, right? It, this is this is, this is the, the entire reason we've been building this structure is to get to this place where we're useful again. <clears throat> It tells us the kindly act once in a while isn't enough. <laughs> um, very true. I I will. I'm not. I'm going to leave that one alone. But I'm sure some of you have have seen those that perhaps take that approach. Um, I don't know if those people are alcoholic, to be honest with you. But regardless, it says we have to act the good Samaritan every day, if need be, and may mean the loss of many nights sleep. Great interference with your pleasures, interruptions to your business. When I was uh, about three, four years sober, I got depressed. Um, and this depression was a result of me slipping on my 10 and 11. When I say slipping, just not being as thorough, not feeling as motivated to do it. I was getting a little burnout with my home group and seeing the same people every day and hearing a lot of the same things. And I bounced some of this off my sponsor and he told me to take it into 10 and 11. And that, and so I was not, I, I was doing that, but at the same time I wasn't, I, I wasn't really open-minded enough to hear what God was trying to tell me. So I, um, I was just in a, I, I, I was just kind of stuck. I, I wasn't growing, right? I, I wasn't spiritually growing. So it was right around my, my belly button birthday in March, and it snowed in Dallas, Texas. It snowed for like three days. And in Dallas, Texas, if there's two inches of snow on the ground, then, then the, you know, everything is canceled. The entire world is canceled <laughs> if there's two inches of snow on the ground in Texas. So I didn't have school for, for three days. Um, I, didn't, I wasn't going to meetings for, you know, for three days because all the roads were closed. The bridges were in really bad shape. Um, I think they call it the Ice Bowl, and I think it was 2016, but if you ask any Texan native about the Ice Bowl, they, they will tell you all about it. <laughs> so I'll spare you the, 
the um, forecast details. But um, there I was, you know, in my room, and I'm I'm kind of in this place where I'm just not feeling as inspired to do this work. And I, you know, I I brought it into ten and eleven with with a different willingness, right, and with more of an open mind, and you know, brought it into prayer and brought it into meditation, and. You know, I asked God to, to please give me someone I can help during this time. Because um, I really wanted to use those three days to do whatever the fuck I wanted. I, that's, I, I, that's what I wanted. I wanted to play video games and watch movies and, you know, just not do anything, right? Like, there, I, 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 want, I saw that as a break because I was feeling unmotivated with where I was at in life, so I saw it as a break. So I prayed for someone to help. And I, and I honestly wanted that. I honest, in my heart, I wanted to help someone. And then the, the AA intergroup, this is the first and only time that they have ever called me. The AA intergroup, um, well, the first and only time they called me in regards to this. <laughs> they called me and they said that there is someone who is suicidal uh, about 10, 10 miles from where you are. Can we give him your number? And I said, yes. So immediately I'm like, all right, God is here. God is present in this. You know, how can I be helpful to this person? So I talked to this guy on and off for hours. And he, he was drunk uh, a lot of the time that we were talking. And he was very suicidal. And the book tells us not to deal with alcoholics when they are very drunk. And, and I knew that. Um, you know, and, and I'm not a licensed therapist I'm not a professional mental health professional so I you know I'm, I'm I certainly wasn't giving him any advice in terms of his suicidal ideations but I I was um, just talking to him getting a feel of his condition and and I and I just kind of listened to him and we talked for on and off like three or four hours um, pretty late that night because he you know every time I, I, I hung up with him he would call me back and I had nothing else to do. At that time, which kind of sounds bad, but I didn't, so I, I talked to him, even though he was he was pretty drunk, and I told him that um, in the morning I'm going to come pick him up, you know, during ice bowl, <laughs> and I told him I would drive him to a you know a treatment center. So in the morning, I show up, I walk into his home, and this it was my belly button birthday, right? So I'm like. There's a part of me that's like, I don't need to be doing this on my birthday, right? Just very entitled, very self-seeking, self-pitying uh, motivations, which if you're doing 10 and 11, we pray to have those removed in the morning. So there I was at this guy's house. Um, and I um, I walked in and his, his home was a complete wreck. Like really, really, he was in really bad shape. And it floored me, right? It floored me to, to see someone in, in that shape. And it kind of reminded me, you know, of, of where I was at when, when I got to the program, you know. And I, I, it immediately changed my emotional perspective. You know, it, it, it changed my perspective on why I'm in Alcoholics Anonymous, why I'm doing this work. And <clears throat> I got him cleaned up. Uh, he got dressed, you know, I, I got him in the car and he was, he was very sick, still very intoxicated. We were just doing small chit chat and I took him to a treatment center or a, a detox in, in Denton, Texas. And I sat with him in the waiting room and he talked to some of the people and he got admitted. 
and he went in that day and I told him to give me a call when he got out and I actually our our group carried meetings into that treatment center um, every other Friday so I actually got to go in and see him there uh, and get to carry a meeting with a few other people from my group so that that was really cool but the really cool thing is you know he, he got out and he started going to uh, my home group and he started working with with somebody else there started uh, going through the steps with a gentleman named Steve there and he got sober right and I I through that story you know you you think well you did a lot of that or maybe you don't think that some people would think that and I certainly you know before coming into the program would think that but I had nothing to do with that it was a complete God deal and you know it it all comes down to this page 97 and why is it that I never avoid these responsibilities because something like that can happen and when you see something like that you know you're you realize that there is no greater gift than doing step 12 than working with others and, you know, the book tells us again and again that we are not going to want to miss that experience. You know, we're not going to want to miss this fellowship growing up about us. And, and to witness what happened with that man and where he was and what I was doing, you know, the, the day that intergroup put us in, into touch with each other. Like, seeing God work in that way is... <laughs> that's... It's a trip, you know? The first step that I was exposed to in Alcoholics Anonymous wasn't my step one. The first step I was exposed to was my sponsor's step 12. I was in a meeting and I'm flipping tables and I'm yelling at AA members, I'm so happy you're here, but I'm dying. I'm dying here. And when is someone going to tell me how to get sober? And uh, this happy, smiling, laughing woman gave me her card. And she said, if you want me to take you through your steps, I will. And the next day she came to my house and she opened up the book with me. And I was two days sober and I was miserable. And I didn't think that this AA thing was going to work. I didn't come here to find God, and I sure barely came here to quit drinking. I came here because I was in so much pain sober that I needed to die and that alcohol no longer worked to change the way that I felt. So I was restless, irritable, discontent, drunk, and I was restless, irritable, discontent, sober, and there was absolutely no other solutions that I could think of on my own. So when this woman approached me and offered to help, I basically said yes out of spite. I uh, have some good news. You can recover out of spite because that's what I did. <laughs> I'm a science guy and I knew that if I was going to prove this wrong, that I had to replicate it completely. So when this woman came to my house, you know, and opened the book, she read to me the very first day a couple things. I remember the first thing that she said to me was, AA is not about you. It's about the people that you're here to help. 
And what I say to my sponsees today is that AA isn't about you either. It's about the people that you're here to help. And the first thing that she did is opened up XXV and it says how um, part of my rehabilitation is going to be to help. It doesn't say I need to get my shit together first, right? And I didn't, and the very next page, it said, the solution is altruism in God. And I really thought that word altruism looked like something like having to sell all my possessions and go around and like, you know, feed homeless people. And none of that sounded very exciting to me. But she assured me the good news was that I just had to give away whatever she was giving to me. And all of the instructions were in the book. I still didn't think this was going to work. I still didn't think that she knew anything and that there's no way she was an alcoholic like me because I was in so much pain sober and she seemed really comfortable sober. But in that same day, we started reading in the book where she says the words phenomenon of craving and no one had ever said that to me before. I'd been to therapy for years and years and years and nobody had ever said this thing that I finally understood that I had and the reason that I couldn't stop at seven. So when she said this phenomenon of craving, my ears popped open and I was finally listening, able to listen to something and I was became willing to do whatever she said because I didn't think that she was as bad as me, but I believed that she had what I had and I believed her when she said that she doesn't think about drinking anymore. The first thing that she took me through after that was to describe the progression of alcoholism. It says that alcoholics are in the grip of a progressive illness. You know, it doesn't say disease, but it does say progressive illness. And the best part that I found in the whole book that reads through the progressiveness is into the wives and that's called the four husbands. So I read this with every one of my sponsees to see what they identify with. It actually breaks down a lot of the misconceptions and talks about the difference between a hard drinker and a real alcoholic. And it shows me where I've started out and where I've come. It starts on page 108 at the very bottom sentence. It says, your husband may be only a heavy drinker. His drinking may be constant or it may be heavy only on certain occasions. So again, this isn't an alcoholic. Perhaps he spends too much money for liquor. It may be slowing him up mentally and physically, but he does not see it. Sometimes he is a source of embarrassment to you and his friends. He is positive he can handle his liquor, that it does him no harm, that drinking is necessary in his business. He'd probably be insulted if he were called an alcoholic. This world is full of people like him. Some will moderate or stop altogether and some will not. Of those who keep going, a good number will become alcoholics after a while. So it says that a heavy drinker can drink constantly. So I have to really understand the differences here. And I started out as a number one. At the end of my drinking, I was bedridden. You know, that's not a, that's not a necessity for chronic alcoholism. But the point is, as I think that people would look at my partner after eight years of marriage to this chronic alcoholic and say, why are you married to her? But I didn't start out in bed. I started out as a husband number one. Husband number two, your husband is showing a lack of control for he's unable to stay on the water wagon even when he wants to. He often gets entirely out of hand when drinking. He admits this is true, but is positive that he will do better. He has begun to try with or without your cooperation, various means of moderating or staying dry. 
Maybe he's beginning to lose his friends. His business may suffer somewhat. He is worried at times and is becoming aware that he cannot drink like other people. He sometimes drinks in the morning and throughout the day also to hold his nervousness in check. He is remorseful after serious drinking bouts and tells you he wants to stop. But when he gets over the spree, he begins to think once more how he can drink moderately next time. So it says here, we think this person is in danger. These are the earmarks of a real alcoholic. Perhaps he can still tend to business fairly well. He has by no means ruined everything. As we say amongst ourselves, he wants to want to stop. And when we talk about this husband, this is where I came to. This is the next thing that happened. You know, this is the progression where I started out as a good time, sometimes embarrassing. Then it became to the, came to the part where I'm beginning to lose my friends. Things are getting harder but I don't want to stop yet. And so as a recovered alcoholic, I'm not in the business of, you know, forcing AA. If you walk in the room, I don't just say you're in the right place. Let's find out. Sometimes I see a lot that um, we're picking them before they're ripe. And that simply means that people are coming into the rooms before they're ready to quit drinking. It says if you have an honest desire to stop drinking. And for me, it took a lot to get there. It says, husband number three, this husband has gone much further than number two, though once like number two, he became worse. His friends have slipped away, his home is a near wreck, and he cannot hold a position. Maybe the doctor has been called in and the wary round of sanitariums and hospitals has begun. He admits he cannot drink like other people, but does not see why. He clings to the notion that he will yet find a way to do so. He may have come to the point where he desperately wants to stop, but he can't. His case presents additional questions, which we shall try to answer for you. And this is one of the most beautiful sentences in the book. It says, you can be quite hopeful of a situation like this. Husband number four, you may have a husband of whom you completely despair. He has been placed in one institution after another. He is violent or appears definitely insane when drunk. Sometimes he drinks on the way home from the hospital. Perhaps he has had delirium tremens. Doctors may shake their heads and advise you have him committed. Maybe you've already been obliged to put him away. So this is where alcoholism is taking me. And I really had an aversion to husband number four because I didn't go to a lot of rehabs at the end. I was an American. It wasn't really something that I could afford. But it says in here that I'm violent and I appear definitely insane when drunk. That's absolutely where I was at the end. So some of the things fit, some of them didn't. But if we're looking for the similarities, I absolutely was a husband number four. Now, this is the most beautiful sentence in the whole book. It says, this picture may not be as dark as it looks. Many of our husbands were just as far gone, yet they got well. So alcoholism for me is both predictable and progressive. And this is the part where it's showing me where I started, who I became, and where I'm going. Alcoholics Anonymous works no matter how far down the scale you got, you've gone, but there's no husband number five. My death is on offer as well. Suicide, drunk or sober, is a reality and there isn't a husband number five there's nowhere else to go 
So I can jump off of this ride anytime I want throughout my progression of alcoholism. But up until husband number three, I don't really see why I would. I want to want to stop, but I also enjoy this, you know, alcohol is the best thing that ever happened to me. So as a sponsor, I'm not here to convince you. I'm here to help you convince yourself where you're at. Did you come from a husband number one? Are you at a three? Are you at a four? And do you know that there's no five? So thanks so much for letting me talk a little bit about the most important step, the reason that I'm still sober and will remain sober and the part that you truly won't want to miss. First, let me just say congratulations. You've made it through our first 11 steps, uh, episodes, and uh, it has been wonderful to listen to everyone and to hear everyone's interpretation and everything that goes along with what they've said about the book. Uh, I've really enjoyed it, and it's been fun to be a part of it as well. Um, Today, I'm going to just briefly talk about step 12. Um, I think what I want to focus on is not in the chapter working with others. I'm sure a lot of people will probably cover that chapter, so I'm going to focus on a line. It's my favorite line in the book. Um, it's in Bill's story. It starts on page 14, continues on to page 15, and it encapsulates to me the entire purpose, direction, goal, everything that goes along with step 12 is in this one sentence. Now this sentence is bookended by other sentences that are in this incredible paragraph. So I highly suggest you read all around it, but I'm only going to read this one sentence. And so I'm going to, I'm just going to go ahead and read it now. It says, for if an alcoholic failed to perfect and enlarge his spiritual life through work and self-sacrifice for others, he could not survive the certain trials and low spots ahead. That is an incredibly packed sentence. Um, So let's just break it down. First, it has my favorite word in it, which is if. Uh, If means condition being met. So this is the, in my opinion, rarely seen, what I like to call anti-promise, where they're actually going to give you a negative promise. Uh, So it says, if an alcoholic fails to perfect and enlarge his spiritual life. So the question immediately becomes, what do I do to perfect? How do I perfect and enlarge my spiritual life? Good news. If you just keep reading this sentence, it answers the question for you. You do it through work and self-sacrifice for others. I think that that sentence alone could dismantle a good amount of things that you hear in the fellowship of Alcoholics Anonymous. And I'm sure it's been made clear throughout this series. I'm sure that if you've made it to the 12th episode, or I can't remember how many episodes we did, but if you've made it to this episode, you probably understand the difference between the fellowship and the steps. Um, You know, so I, I won't go into detail about that, but I will just say that I personally 
think that there are a lot of things that are classified as quote unquote service um, and, and sold to people under the guise of the 12th step that would not fit under the definition of work and self-sacrifice for others. Um, and I'll just use the lowest hanging fruit available uh, just to maybe put a exclamation point on this sentence, which is that I personally do not think that showing up 30 minutes prior to a meeting and putting a coffee pot on would classify as either A, work, or B, self-sacrifice for others. Uh, unless you were, I guess, like deathly allergic to coffee and you were taking some great risk by making it, but then that just seems like stupidity to me. So I don't know. I think um, it's a lovely thing to do, and I, I don't want to take away from the necessity of that action. Um, but I want to be clear that, in my opinion, that is not what Bill is trying to get across here when he's talking in this sentence. And again, if you go back and read this part of the book, you will see exactly what he's talking about. But I'm not going to read that for you. You have to do that for yourself. So then there's a comma, and we go into the second part of the sentence where it says, he could not survive the certain trials and low spots ahead. And I also love this because, again, here we are going to dismantle so many things uh, that we hear in the fellowship. This idea that um, if you simply give up drinking, your life will get better. In fact, quite to the contrary, this tells me that if I just give up drinking, even if I give up drinking and work the first 11 steps, um, that I'm still going to find myself with trials and low spots. I think you could probably say this to any human being because, again, I do not believe that trials and low spots are an alcoholic experience. These are a human experience. Um, the difference is, is that we won't survive them because we will drink if we have not buoyed ourselves uh, through this practice, through work and self-sacrifice, to enlarge our spiritual life. And so this brings me um, to the next part of this, which is, I think I've had this exact experience, and I think there's probably going to be other people who are listening to this, who are either having this experience or who are um, going to have this experience. You're listening to this podcast because you are seeking, and whether that's because you're unhappy in your current state of affairs, or if it's just because you recognize that part of your job uh, for God is to continue to seek. And I think for myself, what I've often found is that I'm always seeking what I like to call triple A, advanced AA, advanced Alcoholics Anonymous. I'm like, there's got to be some next level. There's another 12 steps after you complete these 12 steps. We're going to get into the intensive work now. This is where we find out that there's some deeper meaning. And I think what this is saying is that that's absolutely not true. In fact, my job today is to simply do the things that have been laid out in the first 12 steps, to do them every single day, to try to do them more perfectly, and to grow them tomorrow greater than I grew them today, but to not do it through some new means. Now, let me just pause here and say, I am not suggesting that other things are not important. Seeking other things are not important. It says in the book that we should absolutely seek 
out people, religious people. We should find them. We should ask them questions. We should learn from them. I personally read a tremendous amount of and listen to a tremendous amount of spiritual books and teachings. Um, However, these are done on top of the daily practice of the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. It is not done instead of. I do not grow out of a 10th step, an 11th step, or a vitally important 12th step. In fact, I must be doing these things before I seek these other ideas. Before I seek to grow towards God in transcendental meditation, I have to do step 11 when I wake up. So if you want to do transcendental meditation, that's cool. Um, As long as before you do it, you follow the directions on page 86 and 87. Um, And so my goal here is to grow in understanding and effectiveness for God. My goal is to perfect and enlarge my spiritual life. And if I'm not currently doing that, page 14 and page 15 tell me exactly where I can go to immediately start to do it. I can immediately start to look for work and self-sacrifice for others. Now, again, we are on our 12th episode or we are on the 12th episode of this podcast. Um, And so we are, I'm going under the assumption that you have either listened to all of these, you've worked all of these steps, or you are actively looking to grow in effectiveness as a sponsor. And so this brings me to the last thing I want to talk about, which is on page 164. And again, I'm going to pull one sentence out of this paragraph. This is one of the most beautifully written paragraphs in the book. Um, This is where we close the first 164 pages. And I think it's something that gets read a lot at meetings because it is just truly incredible, impactful, and beautiful. Um, The line is, but obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. You cannot go out and grow your spiritual life through work and self-sacrifice for others if you have not first done the prior 11 steps. Because as this line says, you obviously cannot transmit something you haven't got. There's an inverse to that. You absolutely will transmit what you do have. So unrecovered people are out there transmitting unrecovery. So my suggestion is is that you work these steps as quickly and as thoroughly as you can. You take the experience that you've had and you go offer it to somebody else. And what I've found is that through that, two things have happened. One, I've had a deep and effective spiritual experience that has completely revolutionized my feelings and outlook toward life, that I've seen a life given to me by God that is completely undeserved and unwarranted, and it is the most beautiful privilege I get to share the deepest recesses of my past to try to be useful to another person. And the second thing that I've been given is that a fellowship has absolutely grown up around me. And that fellowship consists of two types of people. 
It consists of people who I have experienced broken, who I have seen grow through the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous, who I have seen then go on to help other people and then add those people to our fellowship. And it consists of people I've found who are trudging this road, who are walking this path in this same way, and they have joined, and then they have sought other broken people, and they have brought them into the fold. And to see this fellowship grow, to see loneliness disappear as this has grown up around me, and to see the gifts that have been granted to me by God is the most miraculous experience of my life. And I hope that none of you miss out on it. And if you get nothing else out of these episodes, I hope that one thing that you do get is that this experience is available to every single person who's listening. There is no one on this who is listening to this podcast who is not smart enough or capable enough to do this. Every single person who is able to be honest with themselves can have this incredible, incredible experience, and I hope that you all get it. It's been an honor and a privilege to get to speak on this podcast twice, and I truly hope that you all have a blessed day. This has been a podcast greater than yourself. Podcast Greater Than Yourself was created by recovered alcoholics. All involved in the creation of this podcast are active members of Alcoholics Anonymous who wish to carry the message of our own recovery to those who still suffer. We do not claim to represent Alcoholics Anonymous. All comments are from our own experiences as alcoholics who have recovered by following the directions for the 12 steps found in the book Alcoholics Anonymous. Thanks for listening.